David's daily daily. What? <laughs> the jet lag's kicked in. You're about to witness right now, you're about to observe one of the most exciting balcony scenes ever. Forget Romeo and Juliet. This is David's Daily Digital Dollop from a balcony in a hotel in Vancouver, Canada. So that's the ambience you can hear. It's pretty close to the airport. This is about five minutes away from the airport, so you'll hear some planes. But uh, that, that will work quite nicely because today's dollop is all about our flight. It's called Dolloping from a Plane to Canada. After the success of my dollop from two weeks ago, entitled Dolloping from a Plane to Belgium, I'm sure you'll all be excited at the prospect of reading another plane-based dollop. Although this time, as you've hopefully already worked out, otherwise I'm a bit worried about your basic level of education, I'm dolloping from a plane heading to Canada. It's going to be difficult to rival my dollop from a plane heading to Belgium, given how fantastic it was. I'm sure you'll all remember so many memories. It's going to be quite an ask to create something even better, especially since that particular dollop was on the subject of kettles, and today I have nothing kettle-based at all to give you. But I'll do my best regardless. Now this is what I call cabin pressure. Oh yes, I'm off. We're one pump down, we're off. From the moment we arrived at the airport, we were being shouted at. Not by a member of staff, not by a Harris traveller, but by the escalator. Interesting little fact before I tell you this story. I have always called, I have no idea why, but I've always called escalators, escalators. As if it's with a, with a U. And when I was writing this dollop, I was typing escalator. And it was coming up and correcting it, it said escalator. And I was like, escalator? I don't think that's right. There's obviously some, maybe that's how the Americans say it. We say escalator, don't we? But we don't. It's escalator. But I've always said escalator. David Eagle nugget for you there. For the moment we arrived at the airport, we were being shouted at. Not by a member of staff, not by a house traveller, but by an escalator. Please take extra care when using this escalator. It repeatedly instructed at considerable volume. This was my first escalator of the day. It was rather early in the morning and I hadn't had much sleep. I was therefore finding it difficult to imagine the usual level of care that I would take on an escalator. To be honest, I've never really given my escalator travel much consideration. I usually just get on, stay on it until it's done escalating me, and then get off. It's always just been an intuitive, instinctive thing. I wouldn't really say that I take particular care when using escalators, but now I was being asked to consider my usual care and then add an extra level of care on top of that. The people behind me were getting impatient. Seemingly, they weren't vexed or concerned by this automated announcement and were just keen to get on the escalator and didn't appreciate my deliberations. Either that, or they had managed to quickly do the maths in their heads and had already calculated the amount of care that they were about to take. There was nothing for it but to simply step on and hope for the best. It was time to take what might potentially be my most exhilarating escalator journey of my life. I stepped onto the escalator and braced myself. I clung onto the rail tightly. Surely that was an example of taking an extra level of care, but nothing momentous happened. It was just like all the escalators that I've ever been on before. I was a little disappointed, to be honest, as no doubt saw you. The announcement had built my expectations. I was expecting maybe a bit more speed, maybe some twists and turns, a few dodgy corners, a bit of drama, but it was just your standard escalator. Between entering the airport and boarding the plane, we went on loads of escalators, all of them as standard as this first one. Yet, the first escalator at the entrance was the only one that came with a warning. The others didn't even warn us to simply take care. 
when using the escalator, never mind an extra level of care. We've gone from insistent overzealousness to, yeah, I couldn't give a damn, all in a few paces. In other automated announcement news, the computerised voice that constantly blurted out over the public address system was a bit lacklustre, and of thought, bearing in mind that there are going to be lots of people of different nationalities waiting, it's quite important that the announcements about flight information and so on would be slow and clear. But the computerised voice spoke at a very irregular metre, often speeding up when it came to salient information such as the flight number. The voice was also rather robotic, and it pronounced certain words and phrases incorrectly, such as, you aircraft is ready for boarding. Every single time it said, you aircraft, rather than your aircraft. I wonder how long this quirk has existed, and how long it will be before anyone does anything about it. Might I suggest that it might be a good idea to get this fixed? Thank you all. My favourite mistake that the computerised voice made, and it happened frequently, was, can all of the passenger please board flight... dot dot dot... I assume that this was meant to say, can all passengers board? Unless this was the computer's idea of a joke about the amount of physically damaged passengers who board these planes due to having bits of themselves dismembered by the incendiary escalator. Maybe me and the other two young'uns are just a lot tougher than some of the other customers because we didn't find anything particularly dangerous about the escalator. Although, come to think of it, there were quite a lot of people boarding our plane with missing limbs. Maybe the dangerous escalator is an initiative set up by the airline companies to reduce the amount of weight on the plane by amputating passengers, thus saving fuel costs. It brings a slightly different meaning to the notion of travelling light. There were quite a few people asking the stewards if they could bring their dismembered legs on board the plane, but they were told that no, they wouldn't be able to bring them into Canada as there's a strict customs rule about bringing foreign meat into the country. Understandably, the passengers were hopping mad. As well as listening to today's dollop, you will be able to hear the background noise of some piping. So yes, a little bit of an audio backdrop today. Yesterday, it was the sound of aeroplanes flying by. Today, pipe music from the hotel room opposite. David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 197, Canadian Confusion. It's happened again for our... Oh. Oh, that's an interesting bit. Excellent. One of the venues on our Canadian tour claims to host the best in country music. What are we to do? The gig is a week away. Should we spend the next few days learning a country music set to try and avoid embarrassment? It might be a bit of an ask. Maybe it would be more conducive to rework some of our actual songs, singing them in American accents and changing certain words, putting in references to pickup trucks and cowboys. Unfortunately, even this might not be enough to save us, because the venue also describes the young'uns as Celtic. So it's not just country music they're expecting from us, but Celtic country. We've got less than a week to invent a genre of music, learn an entire repertoire of songs, in that as-of-yet non-existent genre and somehow pull it off. I need to get my hands on a harp from somewhere, learn how to play it, and then Michael's going to have to learn how to play the slide guitar. It's the only way. This is a write-up about us for the Vancouver Festival, which we play today. It says, Though the young'uns have been around since 1989, this may well be the first introduction to the genre-bending English trio for a more recent generation, or ahem, young'uns. 
According to this write-up, we've been a band since you were four-year-old. I have no idea where they've got this information from. Google the young'uns, and there are loads of websites that will instantly tell you that we started in 2005. 2005, so it's not even as if they could have just done a typo, because the, none of the numbers are the same. I like the fact that they then make a little bit of a joke based on their massive mistake. Though the young'uns have been around since 1989, this may well be the first introduction for the genre-bending English trio for a more recent generation, or ahem, young'uns. Maybe the person who wrote this realised after writing it that they'd got their facts completely wrong, but they were so proud of their joke that they decided to sacrifice the facts for the sake of being able to keep in the hilarious joke. And they describe us as a genre-bending English trio. Today's gig is just going to be our normal stuff. If they came and saw us a week later doing our Celtic country set, then they'd see a band that is truly worthy of the label genre bending. But today, we're just going to do our usual stuff. Maybe throw in a few of our old hits from the 80s. I can't remember what they were. Probably an unaccompanied medley of nursery rhymes or something. This particular write-up comes from the Daily Hive, and the title of the piece is five emerging artists to watch at the Vancouver Folk Music Festival. So, we've been around since 1989, but we're also emerging. All this confusion and weirdness does nothing to temper the weird feelings that are naturally occurring due to jet lag. Anyway, mustache, I've got some heart practicing to do. Maybe I could ask the uh, piper to give me some lessons. That might help with the uh, Celtic country stuff. Okay, so I'm in a hotel room. The walls of this room are very thin, and I can hear everything from the people next door saying. There's a bit of this dollop where I've got to shout. Goodness knows what the neighbours are going to think, because I can hear everything they're saying, and they're talking really quietly, so they can probably hear what I'm saying now. I mean, you can hear them. Listen. So I can hear that. I'm at the other side of the room. The wall's are at the other side of the room, and I've got to do some shouting in this dollop. What I shout is a little bit odd. It might disconcert next door. Never mind, we'll plow one regardless. David's dearly, maybe maybe there'll be fans. I'll get a knock on my door, and I think they're telling me to be quiet, and they'll be saying, geez, where can we? I've only been listening to your life for two minutes, but already it's so fascinating and compelling. Is there a website where I can read this? You never know. That was a Canadian accent, by the way. And you might be thinking, it doesn't sound very Canadian. It's, it's from the Harrison area of Canada, which is where we currently are. It's very much a Harrison accent there. David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 198. The Rude Awakening. The sound of the family having a conversation might be a bit more interesting than what I have to say, so uh, feel free to, to listen to that if you prefer. Or you could listen to both. You can listen to my dollop first, and then you can go back and try and listen to the extra content embedded into this dollop, sort of bonus content from a Canadian family next door. Her dad was in a turkey, apparently. I mean, I mean, that's the kind of thing that Chloe might want to hear about, but not the kind of thing that we want to hear about. Yesterday was spent in a bit of an odd haze. We didn't get much sleep on Wednesday night because we had to be up early to get to the airport. We then waited at the airport for three hours before sitting on a plane for a further 11 hours. When we eventually got to the hotel in Vancouver, we were starving, so we went out for something to eat. We'd arranged to meet a friend in Vancouver. The three of us were so tired that we were worried that we were just going to fall asleep in the restaurant, which I think would come across a tad antisocial. So we ordered some beers in the hope that it would chemically alter our brains enough to get us through the next couple of hours. No disrespect to our friend. This sort of worked and we managed to stay awake. Eventually bedtime came and as soon as my head hit the pillow, I was asleep. 
The next thing I was aware of was an almighty explosion of noise. It sounded like a bomb was going off. There were what sounded like gunshots, the sound of cars screeching to a halt, and strange voices shouting unintelligibly. Three of the voices shouting belonged to Sean, Michael and me, but there were other shouts, screams, gunshots and explosions. We jumped out of bed. I then heard another crash and a shout. It was Michael who had crashed into the wall in the act of desperately trying to locate the light. My brain was now in a much more more alert state, and I was beginning to grasp what the voices were shouting. Gangsters! Gangsters! Where were the gangsters? Should we run? Should we hide? I remember being warned at school in English lessons and creative writing classes that the most pathetic way to end any story is just by saying something along the lines of, and then I woke up, or, and it was all a dream. But there was still a part of my brain that assumed that this was all just a crazy dream that I was having. I was quite jet-lagged, and I had quite a bit to drink, so weird dreams were to be expected. Except, I was pretty convinced that this wasn't a dream. My brain began to become more and more alert. Further clarity was gained when Michael managed to get the light switched on, making our eyes hurt to match the pain in our ears and our throbbing heads from being woken up from a drunken jet-lagged state by such an arresting, confusing series of sounds. Gangsters! Gangsters! Gunshots, explosions, shouting, screaming. We forced our eyes open in spite of the pain, which revealed the source of all the commotion. It was a radio alarm clock. As we reached for the switch to turn it off, we heard a voice shouting, Hip-hop! Hip-hop! And then a beat kicked in, and then it kicked out as the off switch was activated. And the room fell quiet. The threat of gangsters was gone. We checked the time. It was 3.30 in the morning. I wonder whether someone had set the alarm to go off at this time the day before, maybe to catch an early flight, not realising that they'd set the alarm to recur that same time the next day, thus nearly giving heart attacks to three folk singers from England. Or was this deliberate? Had someone done it as a joke, although a joke that they wouldn't see the punchline to, which makes it a bit weird. Maybe they just take satisfaction in the prospect of what might happen, rather than needing to see the effects for themselves. Unless they've bugged our rooms, of course, with cameras. Fortunately, we were all too tired that night to have sex, so at least they didn't get that on camera. Our brains were too confused and too alert to be able to relax again, and it was hours before we eventually got back to sleep. I hope every night in Canada isn't going to be this terrifying, but it has certainly been a rather confusing trip so far. Hold on tight, David. Mr Cooney there. When he says, hold on tight, we're not having an erotic dollop today. He's referring to the fact that today's dollop will be taking place on a jet ski. They're called the GTIs. They're 130 brake horsepower. Oh, good, good, because I was worried it was only going to be 100. So that's, that's good. They'll probably go about 60 miles an hour. And I think as well, I have to be as unblind as possible when we're getting a jet ski. Because... I mean, are you wanting to drive? Are you wanting to... Oh, yeah, I think I'd drive. I mean, not first. I think you should drive at first. Right. But then I think at some point we should swap over. Yeah, that's fine. I think that'll be interesting. See if you can direct me. This could be the last dollop. We've got travel insurance, Michael, you know. <laughs> we do singing weekends, don't we? So maybe we should do an extreme water sports weekend instead. You can hear it, there's, there's one of them. Hello. 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 For an hour, which includes your gas and tax, wetsuits and life jackets, for two people to be on it, you just need to have your driver's license, um, <laughs> and we take a uh, $1,000 damage deposit on each machine. <laughs> so what else can you hire than these things? I've got bumper boats, which would be $21 for half an hour, one adult per boat. Yeah. Ah, we should do that. And then 
The only other thing I have is much more expensive, which would be the blue boat under your shoulder there. That'd be three hundred and sixty-four dollars for two hours. Let's bumper boat it, Michael. Yeah, let's, let's bumper boat yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Two boats, one boat. Yeah, two boats will be perfect. All right. So. You don't need a driver's license for that, do you? No, no, you don't. <laughs> Just fill up this top box here for me with all of your information. So we've gone from dolphin from a jet ski. At 130 uh, horsepower. Yeah, to, to maybe to 10. <laughs> on something called a bumper board. That built up 130 brake horsepower. Well, we could just pretend. I could just overdub some uh, jet ski noise onto the recording, you know. So you just literally just turn the thing left or right. So you press and hold this button. <laughs> oh yeah, hold, hold the right, hold the right button. And then turn it where you want to go. Just go all the way like that. This button right here. Excellent. Spray's water. Spray's water. Spray's water. Yeah. Very simple. Any questions? Water. Good. Nice. <laughs> We're gonna have a bath. This is real. This is a real fall from grace. <laughs> We've gone from extreme sports. Well, extreme sports to, <laughs> to bumper boards. Hop in there, little Davy. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. We are in. Just before. All right. You ready? Very good. Yes. Okay, you're just gonna exit through that gate right there, guys. You're All right. I will. Goodbye. This is a little bit awkward. Thank you. I'm having to spray. I mean, I put on. Uh, I put on. I've got to explain the situation. I've put on these. I put on these. This is probably more. This is. Why? Hang on. I've just got to turn right round. Do a little swing. Swing it round there. Perfect. Right. I don't know. I think we're, we're off. We're off. Okay, I should explain the situation. I keep getting sprayed by this idiot. <laughs> well, he's an idiot. He's a child enjoying himself quite a lot by spraying me. But the trouble is, I've got the microphones in my ears. I think in some ways I'm probably gonna, I'm probably getting more wet than I would if I was on a jet ski. So, sorry for false advertising. It's David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 199, dolloping from a bumper boat, travelling at about five miles an hour. <laughs> I keep getting sprayed. I've got to escape the spray. I've got to escape the spray. This, this bloody idiot is going to uh, break the microphones. Yes, for some reason we've been given this water pistol element to the bumper boat. The child behind me is enjoying the novelty of being able to spray an adult, which he's doing with great vociferousness. And my, my mission is just to avoid the child spraying me. I mean, to be honest, I could say sod it to the, uh, the recording, as in sod it to the microphones getting wet, and I could just engage in battle with the child. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm tempted, I'm gonna swing round, and uh, there we are. I learned some uh, strategies from Napoleon. Uh, <laughs> what I did there, was the child was coming up behind me to spray me, but I turned round right in his face and gave him a good spray. And I, it, stopped, it stopped him for a good 30 seconds, but now he's, uh, he's, uh, and now we're right by the side of each other, and he is spraying me with great enthusiasm, and 
just bumping into we're actually engaged now in full warfare ladies and gentlemen it's uh it's canada versus england i think and we'll just spray the person there right now we'll move on to uh now we'll move on i mean i am now risking hundreds of pounds worth of damage to microphones but it's all worth it for the great battle that is england versus canada and really i am being sprayed like I am soaking wet. I mean, I probably am getting 100 times wetter than I would if I was doing the jet ski thing. And I don't even know if you can still hear me. I don't know if the thing's working. I'm trying to, uh, to keep the water from the ear things, but they are literally soaking wet. I seem to have escaped to an area of tranquility by comparison. Ah, there we are. I was literally being attacked by about four children, I think, who were siblings, attacking me from all sides, from all angles. And I was, I've been sprayed, I'm absolutely soaked, and I, I've been sprayed. The microphones are sort of dripping wet. So I really hope that you can still hear me here. Um, that, was a, that was a proper a battle. I was trying to explain what was going on while also trying to escape. The, uh, but there was, a, there was a brilliant moment where I just said sod it to escape and I just turned around and I really went for the battle. I think they're coming for me. Ah, they've, they've, they must have heard what I was saying about being British and they're now coming for me. There was a moment where I properly rammed one of the children. <laughs> if someone's just... Someone's just accidentally skipped forward into the dollop and just heard that bit, then... Uh, my goodness, I've got a soaking backside. That's your sound bite, Chloe. Yeah, I didn't get off to the best of starts in the bumper boat. The first thing I did was sit on the steering wheel as opposed to the seat. They didn't seem that bothered. It was clear that I was blind. I mean, I fell into the boat. Uh, sat on the steering wheel <laughs> and they still let me on the bumper boat. <laughs> what? What? I'm going out to sea, I've crossed the void again. <laughs> yeah, they don't seem that bothered. I've got to keep drifting out towards the sea and there's no, like, officials or anything that seem to be bothered about it. And Michael did spray a child in the face uh, with his, his water pistol. <laughs> it's a lawless area, this, Harrison. It's a lawless area. What? <laughs> oh, that was a bit of action there, ladies and gentlemen. We should call towards each other and see how much of an impact we can make. I'm going to crash into Michael. I'll see, we're going to have a little bit of a competition. See if Michael can avoid being crashed into. Alright. Here we go. We're aiming for Michael. And here we go. There, we crashed into him. Exciting stuff, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> High-speed collision there at about three miles per hour. But, Michael, we're tough people. We survived the, uh, the dangerous escalator that told us to take extra care. We can survive in the airport. We can survive this. It's a shame that you can only hear this, that you can't get a, a virtual reality experience. But that will be the future of the dollops.
in the future you'll be able to put on a helmet and uh, you'll be able to be virtually transported you'll be able to smell the smells don't worry I won't get too close to Michael <laughs> you'll be able to feel all the sensations not those kind of sensations Chloe you always have to look more this is top speed of six miles per hour, my friends. <laughs> okay, we're heading back to shore. It's been a long voyage. We've battled the Canadians. My backside got rather soaked. Oh yes, it has been a lake voyage to remember. Oh, the fun part is yet to come. I've got to try and get out the boat. <laughs> Just wait for me to clip you up before you get out, okay? All right. Spraying in this area, please. You can help him now. Thank you. Okay. Right. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. We might stretch to a pedal tomorrow, Michael. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> tubby or not tubby? That is the question. Well, the answer today, my friends, is. Tubby, things are really hotting up for David's daily digital dollop today because today we are dolloping from a hot tub. I will now do, uh, if it's just like producing this for some radio program or something like that, I would cause now, provide some ambience, so I would insert the sound of a splash, so I shall do that. <clears throat> there we are. Create a bit of atmosphere there if there's any Radio 4 producers listening or commissioners. I know how to create compelling audio, as you can tell. Let's discuss terms. I could do a little bit of production work, could do a little bit of presenting, I could work on the uh, punning department, the BBC punning department, for um, twee programmes that like puns, like uh, Country File, uh, children's programmes, uh, local news, the happy stories on local news, they're like a good pun. We stayed last night in a house, essentially, someone's house, that they just hire out for people to stay in for a night or two at a time. It's not massively secluded from, like, next door. I don't know who lives next door, but you can imagine it could be quite strange for them to uh, periodically, just every day, have different guests staying there using the hot tub. <laughs> oh, this is good. It's got a bit of a jet going on. Oh, yes. How do you feel about the bubbles, Mr. Gurney? Sorry? How do you feel about the bubbles? <laughs> How do I feel about the bubbles? Yeah, like, um, is it relaxing? On a or? philosophical level? Or? Well, I mean, like, is it relaxing? Yeah. I think so. The, the jets in the corners are getting on my nerves a bit. But oh, your nerves, sorry. I wasn't that was going on. Today, I'm not sure what we're going to do. We're going to travel to uh, our gig that we have in Trail, but there is a chance that we might meet up with someone. There is another band, and I think this is maybe where the confusion arose from with the Daily Hive website, because there is another band called the Young'uns, who are a Canadian band, and I think we've been the bane of their life, because on Twitter, constantly, people are trying to tweet us, but are tweeting them instead, saying, great gig, lads, absolutely brilliant, and it's, oh, and Michael Hughes has arrived. Hello, Mr. Hughes. So we've been plaguing them on Twitter because obviously all their fans have been going, oh, brilliant gig, but it turns out there are fans and not their fans. And, and if you look down their Twitter timeline for the last few years, it, now and again there's updates about a gig and that kind of thing, but normally it's just, if you look down their Twitter timeline, it's just, you've got the wrong young'uns, you've got the wrong young'uns, and it's just us mentioned in. We weren't sure if how they would feel about us turning up on their territory, if they would welcome us, really. We, we get emails 
about doing YouTube, but it's Columbia. Yeah, we get, get emails. Really but, well, that's probably the only reason we're here. <laughs> Maybe they've all got confused. I mean, obviously, the Daily Hive had no idea what we were talking about. Anyway, so we're going to meet up with uh, one of them, the drummer from the group, the Youngins. What? It's called Dom, and uh, we're going to meet up with him. Oh, David, there's a slide over there. Is that? Yeah. Oh. It doesn't come into the hot tub, because it's a slide. Yeah. Oh, so it's not a... It's not a water slide, no. It's just a small garden slide. It's quite a big slide, actually. Let's have a look, then. Bit of audio description for you now. David in a pair of um, rather alarmingly short red Speedo <laughs> swimming shorts has clambered out of the hot tub. He's yes, walking in the complete there. wrong direction and he's attempted to go up the slide. No, yeah. <laughs> OK. So he's found some uh, steps carved onto the side of this lovely house time at the minute is about half past nine in the morning the sun is shining David Eagle is about to go down a yellow slide a distance of some inches off the ground here we go yes he's made it he returns oh no he's going up for another go yeah go you go down uh, head first well, I've scraped all my side, but you know, it's worth it for the dollar. He returns, but oh, you've got mud all over his dumb bring that muddy knee into this hot tub. I can I think I could keep going on the slide, but quite frankly, I think I'm going to take an early bath. Well, as exciting as this is, I'm afraid when it comes to this dollop from a tub, it's time to put a lid on it. And then I'm not sure how the owners of the hot tub will feel when they hear that I've been dolloping in it. David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 202, Car Before the Storm. After leaving the hot tub in Kelowna, well it was too big to take with us, we got in the hire car and began the first leg of our five hour journey, which was to stop off at Wentworth Music Shop, wherein worked a man that we were rather excited about meeting. The man is called Don, and he is the drummer in a band called The Young'uns. Canada's The Young'uns. As mentioned in yesterday's hot tub based dollop, people have frequently got our two groups mixed up. The Young'uns from Canada are a covers band who primarily play weddings so I think it's fair to say, without sounding too arrogant, that our reach and audience is quite bigger than theirs. Given that we've been played on national radio and have won one of the biggest awards in our genre. Okay, that probably did sound a bit arrogant, but you know what I mean. Basically, what I'm getting at is that the young'uns from Canada seem to spend most of their Twitter activity telling people who've attempted to tweet us that they've got the wrong young'uns. We weren't sure if they loathed our existence. After all, they've been going a lot longer than us, since 1989 in fact, which suggests that the Daily Hive website, who reported that we'd been going since 1989, had just done some very lacklustre internet research and conflated our two bands. And then we turn up, a band with the same name. At first it presumably wasn't a problem. When we first started we were way down the Google search pages. But then, as we got more popular, our Google search ranking increased. And eventually we were top. And then there were more and more articles written about us and more and more websites propelling the Canadian young'uns further down the search results table. Then the YouTube videos came and then we signed up to Twitter. And now Canada's young'uns have to spend all their time on Twitter talking to our fans because they've tweeted the wrong band. 
Up until a few days ago, the only real contact we'd had with the Canadian young'uns was them tagging us in hundreds of their tweets in order to direct someone to the correct young'uns. But then we discovered that we were in the same town that one of the young'uns works in, and so we began to arrange a meeting. And today we finally met a member of the young'uns from Canada. The result of that meeting will be featured on a young'uns podcast at some point soon. Yes, I'll definitely get around to releasing one in August. After our meeting with Dom, we began our drive to our next port of call, an industrial town named Trail, where we were playing a free council run outdoor gig that night. About two hours from Trail, we saw a couple of hitchhikers. The last time we saw a hitchhiker was when we were driving through Australia. We travel around Britain all the time, but I don't think we've really ever seen a hitchhiker in Britain. Yet, whenever we're in another continent, we seem to see them. Given that we've been at the mercy of drivers ourselves, having stood at roadsides for hours, desperate for vehicular liberation, I've written in previous dollops about mine and Sean's hitchhiking experiences in 2005, we are very sympathetic to the plight of the hitchhiker. And so we pulled over and asked them where they were going. It transpired that they were trying to head in the same direction as us, and their intended destination was not far from our destination. We didn't really have room for them, at least not in a conventional sense of the notion of room, but by piling bags and cases high on top of ourselves and with Michael's reassurance that he could still just about see where he was going despite the magnitude of bags obscuring the view we drove off with our two new hitchhiker friends in the back our two new friends thanked us profusely as it was evident that we just rescued them from a terrible fate there were large looming clouds ahead a storm was coming and the place they'd previously been standing at the side of the road with nothing else around them for a couple of miles would have offered them no protection against it and canada storms are not something you want to be standing in the middle of we drove through a canadian storm a couple of days ago and it's a harrowing experience these storms are nothing akin to any that we've experienced in England. They are on a much larger scale. The fog is crazily intense and the rain beats down with a ferocity and volume that sounds like cascading rocks. This storm wasn't quite as big as the first one experienced in Canada a couple of days ago. That was a memorable storm. The car was shaking violently and the visibility was practically non-existent. We had a hurried discussion in which we weighed up our choices. If we continued driving, then it was likely that we wouldn't survive. The three of us decided that we weren't particularly keen on the idea of dying. After all, we had so much to live for. Michael and Sean have long-term partners and I have a daily blog to maintain. Our lives are clearly too important to others to risk with a reckless trip through the wildest storm of our lives. So we did the most sensible thing and pulled over. Even with the car now stationary, it still aggressively shook with the wind and the fog meant that we had no idea where we'd just pulled over, except that it was off the road, which was the important thing. And so we sat there while the winds swirled and whistled and the rain pelted, the lightning flashed and the thunder roared and the fog utterly shrouded us. Eventually, the storm subsided with an alarming quickness. Ten seconds earlier, the car was shaking with a rock-like rain pelting. And then the fog just lifted, the rain stopped, and the fog lifted to reveal glorious bright sunshine. The lifting of the fog also revealed where we'd stopped and pulled over, and it wasn't as sensible a choice as we thought. Directly above our car was a massive tree, now gently creaking and swaying in the breeze, although it presumably hadn't been swaying and creaking so gently mere seconds before. 
We did hear a lot of unnerving creaking during the storm, but we just assumed that it was the car. That tree could have easily fallen and Emily and Hannah would lose their partners. And even more tragically, a few hundred people online would be left eternally dollopless. Fortunately, such unthinkable disaster was avoided and we continued our journey. But now, here we were, a couple of days later, in a car with two complete strangers who we'd just met seconds earlier and who were giving us cause to once again fear for our lives. Our car was probably moving more in a side-to-side -side direction, what with the wind shaking it, than it was going forwards. Our two hitchhikers began to murmur to each other in Spanish. They then both laughed in what I'd describe as a sinister manner. But it might have just been the foreboding atmosphere outside was making me feel like the situation inside was also circumspect. There was more unintelligible whispering. Another laugh, and then, We know a shortcut, said the girl. She said this in English, just in case you were thinking that, though my Spanish isn't good enough to know the majority of words, I just so happen to know the Spanish for, We know a shortcut. It's probably just easier to follow the sat-nav, countered Michael, not wanting to start going off the beaten track. There was more Spanish murmurings, and then, It'll be easier in the storm, said the girl. This time, she did say this in Spanish. It just so happens that the one Spanish phrase that I know is, It'll be easier in the storm. No, I'm being hilarious there. She did actually say that in English. But I had you fooled for a moment there, didn't I? Go on, admit it, you gullible idiots. Continue straight, said the sat-nav, as if it was trying to warn us against trusting these two new passengers. The sat-nav is saying to go straight. This route seems pretty simple, Michael retorted, which seemed a fairly logical argument, as what could be easier than simply travelling in a straight line? The Spanish mutterings recommenced. They sounded a little bit more urgent now. There was a flurry of words, and then they seemed to come to an agreement on something. Then there was some shuffling around, while the girl tried to get something from her bag. Just then, there was a massive clap of thunder and the car jolted. Oh my God, it is clear what's happening here, I thought. These people are trying to kill us. They've invaded our car with the sole purpose of killing us, conquering our vehicle and then taking our possessions. It's the Spanish Carmada. They tried their best to get us off the beaten track so as to kill us without drawing attention to what was going on. But their plan had backfired due to Michael's opinion that we should continue following the sat-nav's literally straightforward directions. And so they just had another conversation with each other along the lines of It's very foggy and dark. We could probably get away with just killing them here and now and no one would see. And the two of them had agreed to this plan and the girl was now rummaging in her bag for what? A gun? A knife? An axe? The other two were too busy trying to concentrate on the road ahead to notice what was going on. It was down to me to restrain our two assailants and thus save our lives. My life and the life of Sean and Michael lay solely in my hands. I braced myself, ready to act. Her hand came out of her bag and she was holding a map. Upon consulting the map, it seemed as if the girl was correct and that there was an easier and shorter way after all. And so we changed our route, which took us out of the storm and onto a better road. Now that the danger, both real and imaginary, had passed, we all fell into conversation. Alexandra was from Mexico. Erin was from Spain. They were both in their early 30s. They'd only known each other for three months. Erin had been in Mexico with work, and on a night out, he'd met Alexandra. They spent the night talking, drinking, laughing, and dancing together. Afterwards, Erin went home with Alexandra, 
and what they spent the rest of the night doing is none of our business, although the morning after they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Erin spent the rest of his time in Mexico with Alexandra, staying in her house. A week later, it was time for him to return to Spain, except he wasn't keen on going and she wasn't keen on letting him. Two weeks later, he'd quit his job and he was back in Mexico with Alexandra. Two weeks after that, Alexandra had quit her job and she and Erin were in Canada. And they've been in Canada for the last two months, sleeping in a tent, hitchhiking from place to place, looking for manual work such as cherry picking. They don't know what the future will hold, how long this will last, or whether they'll stay together or just go their separate ways eventually, choosing to live by the philosophy of living purely in the present moment. But for the last two months, they've spent all their time in each other's company, living together, sleeping together, traveling together, and working together, just the two of them. Three months ago, they didn't even know of each other's existence. The original plan had been to drop them off just outside of Trail, where they would continue hitchhiking to their final destination, a further hundred miles down the road. But when they heard that we were musicians and that we were doing a free concert tonight in Trail, they decided to change their plans and come to Trail with us in order to watch the gig. 